The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hi, and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate grief with Shelley F. Knight, the author of Good Grief. <laughs> Shelley is a once upon a time nurse and cl- clinical hypnotherapist turned writer who provides an eclectic blend of clinical, holistic, and spiritual expertise in her specialist subjects of positive changes, spirituality, and grief. She is the author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book, self-kick book, and host of Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast, and is a freelance writer for international magazines, and also has a back t- background in palliative care and life-limiting illness, as uh, just so many things, all the things. So... <laughs> Uh, and this book, Good Grief, is an A to Z modern approach or a modern day grief healing. Uh, so I, I think that's very a, a beautiful book. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Shelly, it's, <laughs> it's so great to have you on with me. Welcome. Bless you. I don't blame you with the bio. People say like, what's your bio? And I just like, oh, I don't know. You know, so yeah, you did work. You did great. All of those things, yeah. Trying to muddle through, right? You do a lot of things. Yeah. You do all the things. So yes. this book, Good Grief, and I, I, I love this title because, you know, grief doesn't have to be this heavy thing. Um, it's something we all experience, every one of us, and we can learn a lot through it and grow through it anyway. Um, so, Shelley, so what kind of working definition do you bring to grief. I know it's a big subject. So how would you define grief? So as you say, it is really complex, but I'm a simple soul. So I always say that grief is when we lose anything with which we have an emotional connection. So people always think that grief is like when a loved one dies, but to me, that's bereavement. So a bereavement is the emotional state when a loved one dies, but grief is when you lose anything with which you have a connection. So it could be like you lose your job, a relationship, a dream, finances, health, confidence. So I would say, particularly with the pandemic we've seen in the last 18 months, that we're all grieving on some level. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's an excellent point because we're grieving the way things used to be. Yeah. Four times. Oh, yeah. Um, and there, yes, and there's so many different types of grief. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk more about this, but what are some of the signs and symptoms that we might experience, even if we are not aware that we're grieving some of these, like, not as known forms of grief? Yeah, I think having like been in healthcare for like 30 years, that it's just so many. I'd say there must be over 100 signs and symptoms of grief. 
And, you know, I know like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross used to speak, talk about, you know, the five stages, but I think it's more than that, you know. So I think when you have grief, it's kind of like physical, it's mental, emotional, social, behavioural, spiritual. I think it's all of those. And that's quite a lot of categories. And then each of that, you know, the physical, I think we overlook because we always think like grief is so emotional and your mental health, but physically impacts so greatly. So I think i believe that a lot of us are probably going through grief now and don't know because it's just things like headaches and migraines and dizziness it's even your skin which is a largest organ you know so it's like skin changes skin sensitivity we get spots and pibbles and psoriasis dry mouth sore throats um we do get run down because you know i really believe like this ease you know the mental health impact so it is just that weakened immune system and the mouth ulcers and the coughs and colds and things like that grief goes really heavy on our chest i think so you do get things like heart palpitations you know or i like to think it's maybe even heartache and then yeah. i know from my own journey i've had a lot of loss that I'm just really sensitive and that's to like light and noise and being around people. So that's physical. I think mental, I get really bad brain fog. You get like this depression, anxiety, confusion, lack of concentration. I'm a bit of a questioner and a bit of an overthinker when I'm in grief. Emotionally, it's kind of those stages we said about Elizabeth Kutheroff, you know, like the sadness, the denial, the anger, the bargaining and all that. Mm-hmm. But what I saw a lot in my nursing, because that's my background nursing career, is the social side that people are either really clingy and really needy or they go the other way and they want to be alone or feel invisible. And with that, that changes people's behaviour. Like, so when you're grieving, I honestly think the behaviour for grief can be anything that non-grief is almost. It's just, you know... Your sleep might change. You might have daydreams, nightmares, feel jumpy, paranoid, you know. Some people go into denial and get really motivated. Some people get inert and have duvet days. And the other thing I noticed a lot, and I, yeah, I can totally relate to this one, is the spiritual side of grief. And, you know, we're talking about radiation, like radiating grief. And it is the spiritual aspects. And it goes two ways. You might have had someone's been like a devout Christian or Catholic all their life, and then they question that, like, well, why is my loved one dying or why are my dreams falling apart? Whereas others have never had a belief in something, whether it's themselves, their family, their job, their faith. And so it's where you get this spiritual emergence, almost like a collateral beauty, where you're grieving, but there's that potential to grow and discover an undiscovered part of you. And I love that side of grief. Right. Uh, I mean, it really takes us to the depths in in a way of our soul. Sometimes we haven't experienced anything that intense to date and teaches us new things in a way about how we can feel and emote and experience this. And it seems like from your from your list of all of the various symptoms and signs it sounds like depression. It sounds like anxiety. It sounds like mm-hmm. stress. All of these things creating the additional s- symptoms that you that you describe. So there's a lot. There's a lot in, involved in it, isn't there? Yeah, I say I think there's hundreds. There'd be more than that, you know. That it would just go on and on the list. But bless you, you don't want to know signs and symptoms. I'm sure. Right. It, it's that. It's like we don't know we're grieving. And I think this is what I'd love to change, along with about 30 other things in the world. But what I'd love to change is like being more open about grief. It's not just about a loved one dying. It's okay if you want a duvet, you know, just like hide away from the world. If you feel anxious, you don't know what to do with your life, you become stuck. And it's really hard to understand yourself, let alone be understood by someone else, because they just think, you know, it's quite literally, oh, well, no one's died. Right. It's not, you know, grief's not just about death. It's the loss of an emotional connection. So people could, like, have this anxiety or this burnout and not recognize that it's a grief process. Absolutely. You know. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, 
you know, clinical heartache. This uh, is like a clinical cardiomyopathy. Uh, the Japanese call it takusubo, where, you know, we feel heartening around the heart, and it does feel like we're having a heart attack or some sort of heart event, but... And then it's re- it can be re- it's reversible once we are out of the depths of that feeling of that emotion. So something that intrigued me is the concept of grief changing over over time over history. So how yeah. grief changed in the past century? It's changed on so many levels. I mean, I did my nursing degree like twenty years ago, yeah. and. It's really weird because, well, it's not weird. It's probably, maybe it's just awfully English, <laughs> Christy. But <laughs> we're a strange lot, truth be known. But I, I went into healthcare. And so you only really discussed health and making people better and returning to health. And so nothing prepared me that people die in healthcare. That, you know, there's not always health. And so as part of that, the other thing I'd like to change in the world is put more death, dying, and grief into the nursing degree training. That's because, an idea. Yeah, because there was, I was told there are three types of grief. Here's your placement. See you in like, you know, three months' time. But they don't prepare you for grief. And I was told there was three types of grief. And I think it was normal grief, delayed grief, or absent grief. So you'd either be crying, not be crying, or you would in the future. And that was it you know and so you're just like okay fair enough so you go in and then someone dies and you're like I've got no idea this person's sobbing on me and we're really ill prepared and that's not just as a nurse I think that's probably in life and now like when I was doing my research for good grief and like going through the years of nursing there must be about 17 different types of grief wow but again the pandemic you know, when we saw that, it's multifaceted because as we saw about the grief, you know, obviously people are dying, but then there was loss of control. You couldn't be with them when they died. And then you've got the loss of the jobs, the finances, the health. So I think it's multifaceted, but there's about 17 types of grief. And some of these new grief types come because in the last century, the medical world has changed and society's changed. Like I grew up with my grandparents. They're a huge part of my upbringing. And so when people were, you know, end of life or dying, that we would nurse them in our home, you know, and we would just take it in turns, like, you know, the cousins, the aunties, the siblings. And it was just a thing you did. And you was, you know, it's just an expectation. And so we didn't have awkwardness around dying and death and what to say, because it was just a duty to your family. And some faiths still have that. And I love that. Right. But here, like, you know, the Western medicine model we started to fear death because we'd sort of like put them into a hospice or a hospital, you know, and then medical advancements, we'd be giving people more antibiotics, we'd be ventilating them. So now there's like more clinical deaths rather than natural deaths. Mm. People are living for longer, but with more conditions. So then we have things like anticipatory griefs, one of these like new griefs. And it is what you see when you're given a diagnosis and then you go into palliative cares to treat symptoms and things like where we're living longer with things like dementia. So, you know, that person's dying or even if they become that confused, that person you knew of sound mind, you know, so you still got the physical reality, but you're already grieving what's going on, what's losing. So whether it's your loss of health, their loss of health, their loss of you know faculties. And that's why it's changed because we don't deal with death dying in the home with family. It's kind of outsourced to clinical settings. You know, there's a lot of interventions. I mean, I worked in ITU as a student nurse, you know, and they would have died in the olden days. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but, you know, we can keep people alive for longer with more conditions. So there's all different types of grief because, the lines between life and death have become blurred. They're softer and we're detached from that. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's why it's changed medical advancements, if they are of an advantage, Mm -hmm. but also how we are as a society that we've become quite clinical and scared of it. I mean, like when my grand died um, many years ago now, 
it was my mum and my aunties that were there. And then we did have like nurses coming into our home, but we would never would have thought to put her in a hospital. Bearing in mind, I worked in palliative care and end of life at the time. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think we've just so medical, you know, like we can keep people alive until the family get there and then they can turn off the machines, you know, and we can give antibiotics and things. I think we're always changing. And with that comes fear and detachment. Right. Absolutely. Well, and and a hundred years ago, death was a lot more common and expected. If a child lived to be 10 years old, you were extremely fortunate. So, you know, often the loss of children, the loss of many family members. So um, in your book, you talk about a spiritual aspect to the grieving. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So it's kind of a strange, as I say, it's a strange timing, but it's not really. Um, so <laughs> basically, um, I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and I'm used to do past life regressions. And so when you do your past life training, you have to regress time and time and time again. And so I learned that my reason to be here in this incarnation is to experience love and loss. So I hadn't experienced much loss apart from like my family dog dying when I was a child. But as I started my nursing career, which I thought was all about health and just handing my way through life, <laughs> and it turned out actually to be a lot about death, I started to experience loss in my own family. So my granddad was taken into hospital uh, within months of my degree starting. My beautiful stepdad, I speak really openly about Badger. Um, he died a few years later. I had an auntie die, another auntie die, a friend took his own life. And then I've had a horrific infertility journey, which is probably far too much information, Christy, for a first meeting. Okay. But <laughs> we are soul sisters, aren't we? We really have so much in common. <laughs> Crazy. So... As I started to like have health and death in my career, I also experienced it in my family life. Right. And whilst I do have some great epiphanies in the shower and on my yoga mat, most of my spiritual growth has come from the love and loss I signed up for in this life. Sure. And so like I started to carry crystals on me when I was nursing and I started to burn incense when I got home and ground myself with water, get outside in nature and things like that. But as I had more loss, as I nursed, it was really strange, um, which is why I wrote Good Grief, because I'd walk into a room where someone was dying and the walls would be softer, the temperature would be different. I was aware of what I now know is energies around the body. I saw a mist coming off the chest. I was aware the skin changed. It's quite a nursing thing here in the UK that when someone dies, we open the window a little to allow the spirit out, allow the soul out. So I used to do that. Um, I was aware of people being nonverbal for days, then speaking to loved ones that come to say it's okay. So that's why the spiritual aspects there. I want, you know, as much as I want people to know that grief isn't just about death, it's about loss, whether that's dreams, weight, finances, whatever. You know, I also want people to know we're more than the physical body. And I know people are listening, Christy, and they're rolling their eyes going, really, Shelley? <laughs> but we are. And it's seen it with my own eyes. I've nursed it in my own career. And I've, you know, for 30 years, I've done so many different like healthcare roles. And I know we're more than our physical body. I know the human spirit it's the strongest thing in the world, you know, and I've learned so much. And that's why there's the spiritual aspect. I talk a lot about timing of death in good grief because people would die. And I'd seen people hold on till the family had flown from Germany. I've also seen a lot of people mostly die when that evil nurse sends you with a cup of tea off the ward. And then I've seen family years later still stuck in that frozen watchfulness of that day of death. They don't move forward. And so for me, it was really important that the listener today, the reader of Good Grief, know that if you weren't there, you weren't meant to be there. If you were there, they wanted you to be there. And it's really that simple. The human spirit in life and death is still capable of so much 
And it's something I really want to share the world because people just felt guilty they weren't there. And if only I'd been there, if only I hadn't like done that extra shift, got stuck behind the red light. And, you know, your last memory of your loved one was not to be sitting there by their bedside. It's not what they wanted. And it's just that kind of a way of spirituality. You know, by the time you're getting there by the side of the bed, that soul's already gone. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's not just in the bedside of the hospitals. I think it's in like road traffic accidents. I think the body, the soul leaves the body before impact. We just go back to love. And I don't want anyone to think that someone died horrifically. I really think we detach. I think we detach in life through like trauma, mm-hmm. but certainly in death as well. And I just want everyone to know, like, you know, the time of death, don't, you know, give yourself a hard time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I And I agree with you 100%. If you were there when they take their last breath, then they wanted you to be. And if you weren't, then that's how they wanted to, to pass as well. Yeah. You know, the famed um, medium and psychic Echo Bodine, I saw her speak once, and she said it's kind of like if you're trying to go to the bathroom and somebody's standing outside the door sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we just want a little bit of privacy when we cross the veil. And so we wait until our loved ones go get a cup of tea or uh, go get something to eat. And then, then they take their last breath. So, yeah. See, I can relate to that. I can re- As a mother of four, I can relate to that toilet thing. The amount of times I've had stage fright and I just can't go. So I get that. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you just want a little privacy. Right? Yeah. And it's... it's I think even though you're dying, you still have an awareness and you can still make, do you know what I mean? It's that spirit of you is still there. And yeah, and I think I'd get stage fright, but everyone was just waiting for me to take that last breath. Do you know what I mean? I'd just be sort of like, no, it's not good for me. <laughs> Come on, nurse, send that cup of tea. Do you know what I mean? Just send them. Too much pressure. Too much pressure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, give me like a foot massage or something nice, like, but not that sort of, just staring you know like people don't always know what to say whether that's in life or death I think you know human touch is one of the most gorgeous things I used to do it so much in my nursing and I think if my family they're like massaging me or sort of like you know well I'm a bit of a hippie but you know like sort of like holding my third eye or something like that beautiful but don't stare at me with that anticipation like have you done yet love in this life I just don't want that for me that's an excellent point. And, you know, I love your, what you, you're talking about, your, your chakras and acupressure, et cetera. In your book, it's truly an A to Z, like, <laughs> tips and toolbox. And you include some pretty woo-woo stuff in there, Shelley. <laughs> Surely not, do I? <laughs> hey, I, I speak fluent woo-woo, okay? So... <laughs> You've got a lot of woo-woo stuff in there. And so I and I absolutely thought that was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Can you talk about some of these woo-woo things and why you thought it was important to include it? I'll <laughs> just put you on the spot. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm trying to think of something really serious. I thought, just go with the truth, Shelley, because it's how I live my life, you know. And, yeah, and that's why. So in the morning... I wake up and I do the why for yoga. I wake up every morning and it used to be my quiet time. I'd wake up and do 10 minutes of connecting to myself before the day starts with my very busy family of, let's get the numbers right, one husband, four children, not the other way around. Um, So I, I wake up and I do yoga and then I do like the breath work and then I sort of choose a positive word for the day ahead. So I do talk about positive affirmations, yoga. Then I do my tarot card. I like a little bit of insight of the path ahead. So I do talk about oracle cards and tarot in good grief. But there's loads. Of, it's just it's things that help me with my grief. Like when I wrote my first book, Positive Changes, a self-kick book, it's really humorous. Good grief's not humorous. It's just 30 years of beautiful observations and trying to help everyone. But when I wrote Positive Changes, it's kind of this warped humour, but it is just about what helped me when I wanted to commit suicide after like a horrific infertility journey. I had that semicolon moment where I honestly questioned, do I end my life sentence here 
or just pause and go for the most amazing heroic ending with the most amazing climax and here we are Mm. so when the clinical world told me to terminate my last pregnancy she's seven now so I'm feisty and didn't listen but when the clinical world told me to terminate her I spiritually had seen her in dreams and visions for two years so spiritualities always saved me and that's why I've shared the A to Z because whilst it some might call it woo woo I call it daily routine (laughs) but they're so small just try it because when you're trying new things you're not sitting in that grief and you can truly radiate your wellness which is what we're all about today radiating your grief because when your loved one died they would never wish for your life to die as well and so a lot of the tools the a to z tools are like 10 minute tips like just pull a card for the day step on your garden in the grass and ground for the day light a candle and look at the flame you know dress in a certain color and when you feel anxious during that day find it like wake up choose orange and then you find an orange car while you're out an orange autumn leaf you know mindfulness breath work if you really want to talk in therapies, you know, yoga. And for me, it's just like, I think the sad thing is, I, I get love, Jimmy. I, when I love, I love so goddamn deeply. And I know it hurts. And I think grief is that, isn't it? Grief's kind of the price you pay for loving so deeply. Yes. I know it can be painful. Um, I feel teary because my dad was amazing, bless him. Um, but with that life can still be amazing and I don't you know like my life goes on my dad's never met any of my children he's not met my husband but he did send him to me but that's a whole new story um but my dad wouldn't have wanted my life to die when I was 28 you know I'm 47 now and so you know kind of live and make them proud live and surprise yourself just you know, truly radiate in your life. And it is hard and it might not be the life path you chose, the dreams you had, you know, the wishes. I wouldn't have said like, you know, oh, it's fine because in my, my life in between life, I chose to have love and loss. So Jesus, take my dad. I'm going to be absolutely dandy. For want of a better term, it hurt like a bitch and it took me 15 good years to really accept it. You know, I'm quite blessed. I'm clairaudient and clairvoyant so I speak to him and he speaks to me and sometimes not so much of late I think he might have reincarnated and been causing trouble somewhere but um he used to like be around a lot (laughs) but um you know good grief is just you know it's, it's not just a book about grief as we're saying it is about life lessons life cycles my background is end of life so it's you know the life lessons I learned from the dying how to live your life but then it has got like the voice box because people say the most weird, wonderful or damn right rude things when you're grieving. So it's just to try and get people talking slightly better when people are crying. And then the toolbox, because, you know, whether you're reading the book to help others, whether you're reading it to bring it into your work or you're reading it because you think, oh, my God, this woman on this podcast is absolutely mad. I've got to have a read. Whatever the reason for reading it, when you're doing something other than sitting in the grief there's that glimmer of hope and that can pull you through the most amazing challenging times support for the radiate wellness podcast is made possible in part by listeners like you would you like to support this podcast visit radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast for more information oh my gosh yes now i i want to go back um you kind of said very quickly talk box and I think this is a term that a lot of our listeners myself included didn't really know what that is can you mention it oh no so the toolbox is the a to z part and then there's the voice box and that's all about communication because you know people just say well people have to say nothing because they don't know what to say right. or they say the most bizarre things like I've had many consecutive like miscarriages and people have compared my loss to someone being constipated and then they say things of like 
oh, well, it would have been disabled, so you don't want it. Obviously, it wasn't meant to be. Oh, just make another one. Believe me, I think I've heard it all. When my dad died, people physically crossed the street. They didn't want to have that conversation. And I felt, you know, and it's horrible because you feel invisible in grief anyway. And so, yeah, there's um, the voice box section. And it's just to get you talking, if you're by the bedside of a loved one, it's just kind of what conversations you can have, you know. So it's why they're grieving, it's, you know, why they're dying, it's after death. And it's even got sort of what to say when there's death of an unloved one, because you can still grieve, even if you hated someone. There was probably love before hate. So it's just tools in there where I've probably been on the receiving end, if I'm honest, of really poor communication. And it's just to help with the end of life communication, you know, with your loved ones, because that is, that is that awkwardness, isn't there? Sure. Absolutely. It's one way conversations when they're not able to talk, but it's, you know, speaking to unloved ones, friends and life after loss as well, after the actual event, just because people seem to get it wrong. So yeah, there's um, the grief voice box, which is communication and the grief toolbox, which is the A to Z, the woo woo or Shelley's daily routine. <laughs> <laughs> the routine. I love that the routine. I'm going to start using <laughs> routine. I love that. That is that is absolutely great. And so yeah, this opening this conversation. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to talk about death and dying and grief? I think it's like we said earlier that it's become such a clinical event rather than a natural event. Sure. So we don't really talk about it. But I know people that don't know what to say in life. And if we're thinking, again, it's Shelley on a mission to get people known that grief's about loss of something. So even if it's like people have like a relationship breakdown, people don't know what to say. Right, right. You're a re- yeah. Your friends get divorced and what do you say? Yeah, so I think even when there's... Because I think the thing is that people get mixed up like the grief bereavement a mourning so bereavement is the emotional state of when someone's died but as we said throughout like you could be grieving the loss of a relationship you might have lost your job and people still don't know what to say with that type of grief right yeah isn't that interesting it's just this not being able to connect uh, not it's not not understanding but perhaps not understand exactly what the person is feeling and there's just an uncomfortableness it, not yeah. to not to compare this too much, but you know, I lost my cat not too long ago, and you know, people saying, "Well, at least she's not in pain. At least she's playing with the other cats." And it's like, you know, that's not helpful right now. And there are certain things that it just aren't. And it started me questioning, well, what is helpful? So yeah, what what is some, what are some things that would be helpful to say to someone who's in that state? Yeah, I always think like people overcomplicate life. I honestly do. Uh, but that might just be that I suffer from brain fog and a bit of a simple soul. But I grew up with a mantra. And as I said, I was raised a lot by my grandparents. I grew up with a mantra, like treat people how you want to be treated. So you just have to think, what would you want someone to say to you? Yeah. And also, I don't know what people think happens in grief that suddenly we have sort of like an extra head or we lose a leg or something because you know how to talk to these people. It's still them. Do you know what I mean? It's, I just, you know, so if it's your friend, you would know that, you know, maybe she wants a hot chocolate and some cookies or she wants to be left alone or you just need to take her on a nature walk. You know, she's still that friend. Yes. And I know so I always think, like, you know, people compared, like, me having a miscarriage to someone else being constipated. And I was just like, really? You know, but time and time again, I've said this, that, to be honest, I would still rather someone said something, even though it's totally inappropriate, just because that in that moment, you don't feel invisible and they are present, and bless them, they're having a good go. <laughs> and so I think, right. you know, if it's really that hard, 
just skip to the end. If you think, I don't know what to say, say that. <laughs> just say, I don't know what to say, but I'm standing in front of you. How can I help you right now? And don't say, this is what you shouldn't say. Because when you're in grief, the days seem so long, like an hour can feel like 24 hours. So don't say, oh, if you ever need me, you know where I am, because you, they just won't. They won't reach out to you. No. And then, you know, it's a missed opportunity. And it, that's, you know, the grievous feeling invisible. So it is like, how are you feeling, you know, this morning? How are you feeling right now? What can I do for you right now? And if you know them, it is that kind of old school thing, like turning up with drinks or, you know, sending them some flowers or making a meal, or taking them for a walk. And to me, we just stress so much about saying the wrong thing. Just say, I don't know what to say. Right. You know, or, or just say, I'm standing before you. What do you need me to do? Yeah. But it's that whole distancing and tripping over your words. But just keep it simple. You know this person. And I think it's our own fear of inadequacy or our own fear of getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm like 47. And I think after all of my miscarriages and that, my filter fell out. So I don't really have this <laughs> gentleness of thinking, oh, I don't want to offend anyone. I'm just sort of like, I'll skip to the end and have a go kind of girl. And um, Absolutely. So just say, I don't know what to say. Or right. can I hug you? Hugs aren't good for me if I'm honest. As I said that, I thought that's not a good example because when someone holds me, that just squashes the tears out for me. But ask, do you want a hug? Do you want to go for a walk? I don't know what to say. You know, just treat them like the person they were the day before the event happened. It's still them. They're still inside. So help them to remember that. You know, I do think that when anybody's going through any heavy emotion, it's as people, we don't know what to say, whether it's grief, whether it's sadness, whether it's when someone's angry or feeling resentful. Or when anybody that we hold dear, or even just strangers, are having a, a, a strong emotional reaction to something, it's we kind of do just like blah, 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 we should just kind of shut down, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so your book, Good Grief, um, talks about the grief journey. And um, gosh. What else do you think is important for, for folks to know about grief, about feeling grief or being with someone who is? I think there is such a huge opportunity to really understand yourself, discover yourself, grow yourself. And we tend to push it down. We tend to try and want to put a sticky plaster over it, you know, and I think, I know it's painful, but trust me, what you try and suppress now will pop up in the future. And I think the one thing you should do is, one, grieve however the hell you want to, right. you know, so don't be, think there's a timeline to it. Don't think that, you know, it has to be horrific, traumatic life sentence, you know, just be really honest, you know. Um, I just think it's so sad I don't know if it's like that over where you are but for us there's a real negative vibe about grief that once it happens that's it your life's over and it's for life and you never get over it time doesn't heal wounds and that's what we're fed and you know when we're fed these things you believe them and that just pushes you away from your truth of who you are so if you are grieving the one thing I would say is it's like dive into that rawness and what I do what I've done for myself and what I do when I recommend things like in the book it's just 10 minutes a day so out of 24 hours just dip into that rawness for 10 minutes a day and then you know the A to Z tools are simple so you're not going to lose yourself in it but it just allows a little bit of that pain to come up you know so you can look at a candle and it might be lit in memory of someone or to connect to spirit or heaven or whatever your beliefs are, you know, that yoga, because we just, you know, when we get grief, we carry it in our chest and we tighten up, you know, just get movement in your life. I sing and my husband will verify that actually I'm, 
don't have the type of voice that should sing. But I sing like sound healing, you know, bells, even like, you know, have a strop, throw a saucepan on the kitchen surface, bang it with a wooden spoon, you know, anything, just 10 minutes of doing what the hell you like. And it, you know, and that's why the, there are so many tools because we're all different and like men and women tend to grieve differently as well. Yeah, they do. But um, yeah, so you've got like the instrumental and the intuitive grief. And so they grieve differently. So there's so many tools. Like I go in there to do it, colour therapy, cinema therapy. And that's just like watching a really weepy film or a nostalgic film, which connects you to that person and just cry your heart out. You know, do the yoga, do some journaling, do an oracle card reading. It's 10 minutes of something you wouldn't normally do if it's not part of your routine like it is mine. But, um, and it is to get that grief out. I, I, you know, like I said, I saw people watching their loved ones die in the hospital ward. Then I'd see them three years, five years later in the town, still with that frozen watchfulness, still with that, yeah. their life died on that day and I don't want that for you the listener the reader the world I want everyone to just try you know just 10 minutes of something new mm-hmm. the the point of having emotion is expressing it and feeling it we have to feel it here you know I'm from the midwest of the United States in the midwest we are very stoic people and we tend to stuff it down all of our emotions, good Midwestern people, we stuff it down. And that can cause physical issues and physical disease. It literally eats away at our, at our bodies. And, um, you know, the antidote to that is, like you said, is, is giving yourself permission. And it is permission, I think, to feel, to express yeah. it. Why don't, why don't we do that more, Shelley? What do you, what do you think we don't... Why don't we express our emotions? I think it's society. You know, that sort of chin up. This might be an English thing again, but we say chin up, be strong, hold back the tears, you know, carry on. So I think a lot of it's society. Mm -hmm. I think we're just so busy. Like when I wrote Positive Changes, my first book, they're all bite-sized chapters. Because I just observed that everyone... I don't know if they are, but everyone says, I'm so busy, I haven't got time to do that. And it's actually, well, you have. And I think if we stop saying, I'm so busy, and said, that's not my priority right now, we'd listen to ourselves a bit more. Right. So I think we're always so busy, but I don't know if we're busy doing the right stuff. And that's why I think we should, you know, 10 minutes, really, I'd like everyone to have an hour of sobbing, laughing, crying, whatever their grief process is, each and every day, you know, I'm a bit of a feisty woman when it comes to self-love and self-care. But, you know, I think we don't grieve properly because people tell us how to grieve, whether that's it, that's it, your life's over, you're never going to heal, or chin up, carry on, never mind kind of thing. You know, we just, it's, I don't know what it is. I think it is society, but I think we're also our own worst enemies sometimes, you know. I think some people honestly think, like, I know someone said to me once, that's lovely, Shelley, but if I started crying, I don't think I'd ever stop. But I think they have that fear, like that can of worms, Pandora's box, like, you know, because it's not really ever about one grief loss. It's almost like a secondary loss. And I believe that when we go through anything in life, there's a physical memory, but also an emotional memory. And this is a bizarre story, but it's, it's from my world, so it's only ever going to be bizarre, if I'm honest. But um, I've had so many miscarriages and, like, far more. I mean, we have four children, so people don't think that I'm this infertile woman because we have four children. And so people, again, that communication, they say things like, um, have you not got a TV in your bedroom? And do you know what causes it? But we've had so many losses, you know, and people are quite harsh around that. And one pregnancy had gone quite far and then we lost him. He would would have been called Oscar. And we didn't have him as a take-home baby. That wasn't the lesson I was meant to have then. And then when we bought our current home, we promised the kids that when we we went from rent to buying a house, we'd get a dog for them. 
So we found this dog. We absolutely loved it. Says so to the guy, I'm going to go home now, pay a deposit. By the time we got home, he sold this dog to someone else. And I cried so much. And why did I cry? Not because of the dog, but because it was an expectation I was going to take something home and it didn't come home with me. And so when I didn't get a dog I wanted for my kids, it took me way back to Oscar. Of course. And so... When we are grieving, we really need to grieve because it's never a singular loss. It is those losses before. It's that emotional thing, which you can't put your finger on it. But trust me, you'd have had loss on some level before. Like I'm saying, like the relationship, the dog dying, you know, a pregnancy, the dreams, you know, even losing your ideal body or your weight or finances. You're always losing. This is why I'm passionate about grief being about a loss. So... This is why you need to grieve your loved one dying because it's more than that. You know, we carry so much within us. And I think it's why we have so much dis-ease in the world. I mean, like I've said before that I was a chemotherapy nurse and I worked a lot of breast cancer patients. And as you sit there on a one-to-one, they can't go away because I've got a needle in their arm. And you sit there. So they talk to you. They're in a safe place and they talk and they talk about, their losses before like loss of health how they're in a job they don't even like how they're in a marriage they don't like how they married that person because their dad said they had to because they were pregnant you know how they've been spoken down to as a child and they literally would pour all their life experience out and then they would say it's so good it feels so much better now I've got that off my chest yeah and I you know I, I haven't done a master's in it I'd love to I'd seen it too many times throughout my chemotherapy nursing career for it to be coincidence, you know. So if you are listening today, don't push down that grief. Don't sticky plaster that grief. Just take 10 minutes each and every day to let it up because I honestly believe, you know, it, it just manifests in a negative way. Just embrace it and see what happens for you. Well, speaking of which, you do something that really intrigued me, and that is a death cafe. <laughs> I do. Yes. Of those death cafe. Yeah, tell us about that. So I left nursing in November 2019, and I think, if I'm honest, Christy, that's probably my intuition saying, "Get out!" Something is about to happen. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, the universe had my back and I left just before COVID sort of landed in February, March. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I said, I kept seeing these families um, in the like town centre and on my travels that were still frozen in grief. And so I knew there was a need for people to still talk about grief, whether it was three months, three decades after their loss. So I become aware of the Death Cafe movement, which was by the late John Underwood, And the Death Cafe kind of does what it says on the tin. It's literally tea and biscuits talking about death and grief. And people think it's really macabre. And I got slated when I first set it up as if I was the first woman, but I'm not. People go, oh, you're going to make loads of money. It's like, no, it's a non-profit organization. It's my way of giving back to the community. And I'm still making a difference, but without those also awful, awful nursing shifts. Um, and so it's a pop-up event and I use a local tapas bar and we meet up every couple of months and it's, you know, it's called Good Grief, Northampton Death Cafe. And we just come together, you know, and we talk about grief and it doesn't matter if your grief is about your dad or a sister or a brother, you know, or a colleague at work. There's a real sense of like mutual understanding it's just beautiful and there's about I think it's been 12,000 events around the world in 80 different countries you can, I think you can even do it in your own garden in your own house and it's just literally sitting down for like an hour or two and talking about grief what's going on for you and when I set mine up I had like this really cheesy hashtag called um participation not isolation because I think that's the thing with grief that you know, we were saying earlier about the signs and symptoms, like socially we can detach. It makes things worse. So it's about getting people out. And believe me, there is, I mean, we've got one coming up again soon. 
getting out of your house, getting out your routine, a bit like the book, you know, if you're getting out of that routine, getting out of that grief and stepping through the door into an unknown, you are stronger than you know. You know, it's a real courageous thing to do. And every couple of months when I meet up, these people blow me away, you know, because it's not easy. But they have that glimmer of hope in them that they want to make a difference. They want to know they're not alone. What next? And I just love it. You know, absolutely love it. Beautiful. And I, we, before we started recording, I did look it up. There's only one death cafe in the Midwest, and it's down near Oklahoma. Um, I'm sure a small town. I didn't see if there's other places within the United States, but apparently this is a worldwide phenomenon it's all over the place so hopefully we can bring it this idea to the united states now uh shelly i do need to sign off because i have a client coming okay (laughs) so i wanted to let people know how to find out more about you how to reach out see what you've got going on look up your podcast you've got this great you know positive kick podcast and um, so what's your website? It's ShellyFKnight.com. And there you'll find the podcast, the books, social media, sign up to the newsletter. And I can nag you to make a positive change every Saturday. Um, so, yeah, ShellyFKnight.com. I would say to I would add that Shelly is S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. <laughs> night with a K. So, <laughs> many ways to spell Shelly. Yes. It's been an absolute joy. I do feel like you're a soul sister. We have so much in common, and I love talking to people like you. So thank you for joining me today, Shelly. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Hope to meet you again in the future. Same. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, Don't take your dreams lying down.